Welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, and dedicated to silencing the chatter about what women should and shouldn't be doing as they age. Here to bring you stories about women in their 70s, 80s, and 90s, women who are leading inspiring lives that make a difference to themselves and others, are Catherine Marino and Gail Zalitsky. Hi, I'm Gail. And I'm Catherine. And we are the active voice of Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. Welcome to our weekly podcast. Please visit our website, www.womenover70.com, where you can download the playlist of all the episodes. We also invite you to join our podcast discussion club, and we welcome being asked to speak to your organization or group. Each week, we showcase vital women between the ages of 70 to 100 plus who shatter the myths that we become invisible as we age. These women lead fulfilling lives for themselves and others. So welcome to Women Over 70, Pam. We're delighted to have you on our show. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. You're so welcome. I want to say thanks to Grant Robin, my cousin and talented screenwriter, for introducing Pam to us. And Pam Wallace is 71 years old and lives in California. Her entire career is as an award-winning screenwriter and novelist, and she co-wrote her first screenplay in the early 1980s. Her resulting film, Witness, was released in 1985 and starred Harrison Ford and Kelly McGillis. Pam received the Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay in 1986 and numerous other awards. The Writers Guild later named Witness to their list of the top 101 greatest scripts. In 1996, the HBO movie, If These Walls Could Talk, was released. And the following year, Borrowed Hearts became one of the highest-rated CBS movies. Prolific is the only word acceptable to describe Pam. In addition to screenplays, she has written 25 romance novels and served as an executive producer for the cable television series Beyond the Break, as well as for the television movies Last Chance Cafe and A Very Merry Daughter of the Bride. Pam, when we spoke, you told me about a nonprofit you hope to form, and you feel that you're currently living in the age of generativity. So we're, we're just delighted to have you. And uh, maybe we should start by you're telling us how screenwriting and all kinds of writing became your chosen profession. I actually always knew I wanted to be a writer, which is, I believe, true of most writers. From the time I was a child, I was writing. Um, when I was 13, I remember telling my grandmother, um, who never had the opportunity to go to college or pursue a career, as I have done, um, that I had decided what I wanted to be when I grew up, and it was a writer. And there was this pause, and then she said, you know, honey, teaching is a good career, too. <laughs> because she had always wanted to be a teacher and didn't have the opportunity to do it. Um, for her generation, you know, that was, that was the most you could hope for. Uh, a career in something as esoteric as writing was not, conceivable at all um and I but I knew that's that's what I wanted to do I didn't know that I would ever succeed at it or certainly support myself at it I just knew that one way or another that's that's what I had to do 
And uh, after college, I worked for some magazines, and then I started writing romance novels, which were very popular. That was the easiest way for me to break into publishing. And then I got into screenwriting, and for oh, 35 years, my career has been as a screenwriter. It's a long time. That's that's really Pam. Um, when you broke into screenwriting, did you just how did you learn to do that? Well, I had married a screenwriter, and um, I was still writing novels. And um, I wrote the I wrote Witness as a proposal for a novel, and my hmm. publisher turned it down. And uh, my husband thought it'd be a great idea for a movie. So we wrote it as a screenplay along with a friend and um, the rest is history. <laughs> that was your very first offering in, in, you had been writing novels before, correct? Yes. For, for several years, actually I wrote an episode of a TV series, but that, you know, nobody remembers it. Um, it was an unusual situation in that, uh, friend of mine was the story editor on the series and he gave me the opportunity to write an episode and I did and um, it was very successful and that was my first hint that maybe I could write screenplays and then when we did Witness and it ended up being successful then I thought well yeah I can do this I'm not I've never been the most overconfident person in the world and it took the rest of the world telling me you're good at this for me to feel like maybe I can do this mm -hmm. did you ever take screenwriting classes or I took a screenwriting class okay yeah so Pam I you know you won an academy award that is a really big deal and um, I'm I'm wondering what was going through your mind when you heard that you'd won the award and, and what was your acceptance speech like? Well, uh, first of all, I didn't write one because I was certain I wasn't going to win. <laughs> and I've always, I'm not superstitious, but I was a little tiny bit superstitious about that. I thought if I write a speech, I won't win. Uh, so I, I didn't do it. But also, my divorce had become final three days before the Oscars. Oh, my. So I was sitting there with my marriage a failure, not knowing what my future looked like. And then we won the Oscar. So I got up on stage, you know, in front of a bazillion people. And I, it's not that I wasn't happy. I was happy. But it was a very, very mixed mm -hmm. feeling, um, just uh, overwhelmed with um, dramatically different emotions. Yes, I can only imagine. Yes. yes. Wow. Wow. That had to be hard to get up there with him. It was not fun. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes, we understand divorce. We do. Yeah, just not not in front of you know hundreds and hundreds of people. But no, no, no. Did everyone know at that point that you were? No, yeah, in the business, nobody knew. Oh, good. Mm -hmm. And of course, in in my private life, everybody knew. Yes. But in business, uh, my 
husband and I continued to write together for a couple of years after that. And no, everybody assumed we, we were still married. Mm. And we didn't talk about it until I made the decision to go out on my own uh, and write on my own. And, um, and this is something I, I always like to talk to women about to say, I understand the feeling of, I don't know if I can do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, who am I without this man? Um, especially when the man says, you are nothing without me. Oh. You'll never make it without you. Ouch. Um, it was terrifying, but it was necessary for my sanity, for my family's happiness to not, to not be involved with him anymore. Mm-hmm. And so I started, you know, going to meetings and things and establishing myself as a single writer. It literally took me years to do that because I had been seen as his wife. And everybody had assumed because he was the established screenwriter that he was the one who deserved all the credit. Mm. Um, I think any woman who goes through divorce or losing a husband and they try to establish not just an identity, but a career on their own. And there's not enormous support out there, you know, professionally. Um, that takes real courage but it is worth it Mm -hmm. where did you get your support during that time where did where did i assume you had support but where did that come from well my friends um my friends and my sisters were always supportive you know they thought i was wonderful they thought everything i did was great um they believed in me way more than I ever believed in myself. So I wasn't alone personally, mm-hmm. but professionally, um, aside from a wonderful agent who is still my agent to this day, uh, there wasn't any professional support for a long time. Uh-huh. Was 1996 the next time that you had something put out or was, or that, was there work in between? Excuse me. Um, I was working in between uh, on TV movies. Uh Um, But the first movie I did that just had my name on it was Borrowed Hearts. Uh, CBS TV Uh movie. Uh, And it was, um, I mean, the whole process was, was terrifying for me to be on my own doing it. And then it was very successful. And I think it was at that point that I knew I could make it on my own. <laughs> yes. And so you have. <laughs> and so t- just so our, for our listeners can know, can know in case they're not familiar with the script, tell, tell us just a little bit about Bar- Borrowed Hearts. It starred Roma Downey and uh, was a Christmas a uh, romantic comedy movie, feel good family. Um, a single mom with a little daughter is hired by a rich single guy to, for them to pose as his family while he's uh, completing a big business deal. Uh, the businessman he's dealing with is, is very into family and uh, 
it's important for the deal to go through that the hero be seen as a solid family man. And of course, the businessman and the heroine fall in love and he becomes a great father to the little girl. Uh, and ev everybody lives happily ever after. <laughs> Just like romance novels, right? Yes. <laughs> great. Yeah, that's great. Well, yeah, when when we talked, uh, there were a few things that really struck me. And of course, in addition to your unbelievable talent, and and that was you you said that you feel like you are in the age of generativity. What what does that mean to you, Pam? When I first heard that word generativity and understood what it meant, I thought, oh, that's the whole point of getting older. That we've gone through hell and we've learned from it and we've gained wisdom that we really need to pass on, um, especially to younger generations, but also to each other. Um, the idea of, you know, why did I go through all this and, and what's the point of having learned everything I learned if I keep it to myself and if I can inspire others or make the path a little easier for others by sharing what I know, um, then my life has been worthwhile. There, there is a point to it. I believe you have to have a purpose in life. And that became my purpose. Whenever I could um, inspire somebody. Um, for example, I was speaking to a high school class of young people interested in going into the film industry, main, mainly writing. And one boy, um, it, was a, it was at a very poor high school, very um, culturally and ethnically diverse and very poor, and a lot of immigrant kids there. Mm -hmm. And one kid who was Southeast Asian, um, I, I had ended my speech with, you know, I came from poverty, no, you know, I had no special connections. If I can do it, anybody can do it. And he said, even someone like me. And it broke my heart. Mm, wow. And I said, especially someone like you, because you have a lot to say. <laughs> and and so what what happened after that? I've done a lot of teaching uh, around the world. I've had the opportunity to go to many wonderful places uh, and speak at writing conferences and seminars. Um, and I do some um, private, you know, consulting, screenplay consulting. But more and more I've thought, how can I reach the, the people, especially the women, um, who don't have access to attending a $1,000 seminar um, mm -hmm. and who you know, have come from a background where they've never been encouraged to, to really develop their creativity. Um, so I've been thinking a lot lately about how do I, how can I do a nonprofit that would teach writing to women who can't afford to pay for it, or at least not pay very much. And, and where has your thinking taken that? Well, I've just started thinking about it. And I know, I know nothing about how to start a nonprofit. So I'm, I'm going to have to really take a deep dive into this and learn how to do it and, and do it. 
And I see a GoFundMe campaign in your future. I, you know, I don't know that much about GoFundMe. For some reason, I'm leery that I could actually raise much money doing that, but maybe I'm wrong. I think you definitely can raise money doing it. And uh, I, I know a young man who had a, who created a, a video, um, a documentary on a certain disease, which I can't bring up right now, celiac, on celiac disease. And he actually used his entire family to do it because they all suffer from he and his sister and his uh, daughter and her her daughter. They, they all suffer from celiac. And so he created this documentary. And in order to raise funds initially, he did a GoFundMe campaign. So I think that that's something that you can definitely think about doing. And you know, people want to support causes like this. I, I will definitely look into that further. I am very, very interested in it. Mm -hmm. Pam, I'm wondering if you, um, I'm, I know uh, women here in the Chicago area who are uh, teach, teaching writing uh, with groups of women, Latinas. Uh, yes, yeah. Other, and they have a writing circles, community circles. Have you been, have you done things like that? I did, I did, uh, I did one writing circle where I was pretty much the teacher in it. Um, and I, I personally belong to a, an online screenwriting support group. That's, that's just five of us and we read each other's work and critique it and support each other. Um, mm -hmm. um but I'm not sure how to, uh, you know, when I did the, the one time I did a little writing circle, it was just a few people and it was all people I knew. Um, mm -hmm. So what I am ignorant about is how to get out into the public and, you know, get market it to people to let people know this is happening and here's what it is and how to do it. And, um, you know, what all is involved. I mean, in a way, it's business. Um, yeah, it's it is a research project. <laughs> It's a research project in that you you will need to find out everything you can about starting a nonprofit. And then I'm, my business coach side is coming up. <laughs> and, and then and then, um, you know, I would I would look for groups that are doing this kind of thing and see if there are any nonprofits that are actually doing it. Also, I was thinking about the universities. California has such a rich uh, state system that, you know, perhaps you could, you could be talking to some schools to see if that would be a good place to start. I, I taught at a junior college here and also at Fresno State, but that's, you know, um, that's a typical thing to do but it's uh you have to go through the college people can't necessarily afford it um because you know what i'm looking at is not so much solidly middle class women as right. uh, women who have who are very disadvantaged of course of course so look harder at gofundme <laughs> i I will. Thank yeah. you, Gail. 
Yeah, I think I think that's a good good place to start. You know, the generativity is interesting because it is um, Eric Erickson, uh, a psychologist, human development person, places generativity as one of the highest level of human development. Really? Um, yes. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I'm 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 thinking, Gail, why didn't we? Why haven't we been talking about generativity? Because it's just such a a wonderful, um, not just a concept. It's it's a a way of being, of giving back, as you've been talking about, and uh, passing on the wisdom and and um, continuing to learn with with whomever we're in contact with. So I think you're you're really onto something. Well, Catherine, that's an important point you just made because when I teach, I learn. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yes, we both understand that. Yeah, we. <laughs> Catherine has spent her entire life in university settings as ah. a, as a professor of um, as a professor, and I have done a lot of teaching myself without the degree, <laughs> not, not in the same level. But anyway, so, so Pam, are you? I'm sorry, Gail. Are you continuing to uh, to do screenwriting and yeah. novels? Oh, no, I, I haven't written novels since I started screenwriting. Okay. okay. With, um, that was a segue. I went from being a novelist to being a screenwriter. And mm-hmm. um, uh, and I am very, very actively writing now, which has up to this point been an issue of time, you know. And I think that's why this occurred to me now when I'm thinking about it, because my career has slowed down. Mm-hmm. And while I'm still writing, it isn't the same stress um, that it was for all those years. Is that your decision to slow oh, it down? No, it was not my decision to slow it down. It was ageism in Hollywood, which is yeah. well, as bad as it is anywhere. So what difference would it make? I mean, I'm, this is so interesting to me. What difference would it make? For a, a screen a screenplay, whether you're 40 or whether you're 70, the industry is run by uh, young people for the most part. Any meeting that I'm in, I am by far the oldest person, often old enough to be their grandmother, mm-hmm. and certainly old enough to be everybody's mother. They're not comfortable with someone that much older than them they're comfortable with their peers and there's also the belief that if you're older you're out of touch with the current market mm. um, except the big current market the people who are aging yes so exactly I mean boomers are <laughs> you know we're the largest segment of, mm-hmm. of the market um, or we were and we're still a big segment of that market um, but there is a feeling uh, that they purposefully target a young market. You'll notice if you look on Netflix and Amazon and the networks and everywhere, you'll notice the majority of movies and TV series are clearly aimed at a younger audience and often a male audience. Still, mm-hmm. Even though women are the majority of the audience. It's not always easy to find a movie that clearly is aimed at the female market, especially the mature female mm-hmm. market. Mm-hmm. So there is tra- overt ageism 
uh, built into the industry and it's not going away or getting better. Hmm. And you add sexism to that. Um, the Writers Guild of America that every working screenwriter must belong to, it's a union. Um, every couple of years they do a survey. And every time the survey comes out, it shows that fewer female screenwriters are employed. Hmm. Because as you get older, you're employed less. It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. It's infuriating. Um, Hollywood, over the last few years, fortunately, Hollywood has jumped on the diversity bandwagon. And it's, you know, about time they did. Because racism was overt and horrible and extensive. So now they, they acknowledge, okay, we need diversity. But when they say diversity, they never mean mature, mature mm-hmm. actors, mature writers, mature directors. That's never part of the diversity portfolio. Mm. I'm trying to think of all the Netflix films that I've watched. And, uh, I, you know, the vast majority are not featuring... Or, or the topics are not centered on uh, aging or featuring older, older actors. Absolutely. Ageism is um, a horrible issue for women, especially with actresses. You literally see it on the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, how often do you see a movie where the hero is 20 or 30 years older than the heroine? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, sure. Often. Right. So, so there, well, among the actors, there are women who are um, trying to break, you know, break the ageism barriers um, quite successfully. But I'm, and I know there's a, still a long way to go. But are there are are there strong activists in the screenwriting arena? You know, all screenwriters can do is really bitch about it. We don't. <laughs> we literally have no power. Uh, in fact, a few years ago, there was a lawsuit brought uh, on behalf of the Guild against the major studios and production companies about um, ageism. And the Guild won, and the studios had to give them some money to promote you know, hiring of older writers, but it went nowhere mm-hmm. yeah, because they... <laughs> You can't say, I know for a fact that that studio executive would have hired me if I'd been 30, not 50. Right. You can't prove that. Because mm-hmm. they rarely acknowledge it, although I have heard them. We've all, everybody in the business has heard at one time or another, somebody acknowledge that they don't have the names of any writers over 40 on their Rolodex. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a direct quote. Um, yeah. But nobody is, you know, going to say, no, I, I didn't hire you because of your age. No, of course not. So you have you have no power. Mm-hmm. Well, I certainly understand why you are moving into a new um, a new venue. And the age of generativity, I think, is a, just a, a really wonderful way to frame what you're going to be working on next. Sometimes we get pushed out of, <laughs> I, uh, I speak from some experience, get pushed out of our 
what we've been doing where we have you know a great deal of competence and creativity and we have to figure out a way to use it elsewhere so i i really wish you well with this i i know that um women need to have help in telling their stories and yeah. being able to communicate well you as a uh, as a psychologist you understand that writing is the best therapy true Yes, writing is the best therapy. Yes, <laughs> and and, po- and uh, listening to podcast interviews, <laughs> right? And so, uh, Pam, how are you thinking about your own aging? You know, I um, I don't even know how to put it. In my head, I'm young. Uh, I'm no different than I ever was except that I'm so much smarter and stronger. Mm-hmm. And I wish I had gotten smarter earlier. <laughs> and I would not I would not go back. There is no moment of my life I would go back to in the past if I could. Mm-hmm. I am really, really, really happy with who I am now. Mm-hmm. And I just wish the world you know, wasn't so determined to uh, diminish us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think you need to keep on fighting. <laughs> well, that's all. <laughs> I I totally, you know, my heroine is um, Elizabeth Warren. And I have mm-hmm. a little um, sticker thing with the word persist on it. Mm-hmm. If you recall when she was speaking on the floor of the Senate and Mitch McConnell wanted her to shut up and sit down. <laughs> and as he said, and yet she persisted. <laughs> she would not shut up and sit down. Mm-hmm. And so that word persist, I realized, has been my mantra my entire life. Mm-hmm. It's a good mantra. Yes. It is indeed. Well, um, Pam, thank you so much for talking with us today. This has uh, been a really enlightening conversation. And um, so we thank you for joining us today. Yes, thank, thank you very much, Pam. Appreciate your being here. I appreciate being asked. Thank you so much, Gail and Catherine. <laughs> You're very listeners, happy. please leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts become an active participant in our community through the Facebook group and monthly Zoom gatherings. We'll see you next Wednesday on Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. Thank you for listening to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. If you like what you've heard today, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. In what ways are you shattering the myths that women over 70 are no longer relevant or visible? How are you celebrating aging? Join with us. Make your voice heard. Find us at womenover70.com.